0: in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I am from Past Gas by Donut Media, the internet's number one automotive history show. That's right, we talk car history. And this week, we are talking about a lesser-known underappreciated, underrated, undermentioned tuning house called Tommy Kyra. If you're deep into the JDM world, you know these guys, but for those of you who don't, Tommy Kaira is responsible for some of the most understated and just cool tuner cars out there. They had a really interesting philosophy on how they built their cars. Originally, one of the founders sold AMG and other European sports cars through his dealership in Japan and decided to take that same ethos with domestic Japanese vehicles. And they ended up with some really, really cool stuff. This is a cool story. This was a fun one. Really just goofy time with James and Joe. So go check that out. Tommy Kaira on past Gas, wherever you get your podcasts follow the show today thank you bye
2: Welcome back to NBC BC TV <laughs> sports <laughs> the number one M- the number one NBC affiliate in British Columbia that's on TV and only talks about
3: sports. <laughs> In British Columbia, NBCBC Sports.
1: <laughs> that's
3: how we're gonna start the show, huh?
1: I don't know, man. Um, we gotta do a different intro. That's that was horrible. You gotta was, do, dude. That's confusing. Well, listen. now
2: what am I supposed to do with that? No I don't know. Now I feel great. Me and Joe <laughs> had a little fun there, and he called us idiots. And now I'm totally confident to do some
3: fun jokes. I was thinking about more letters to add. <laughs> No, I just have to get rid of those letters you in my head. You
1: 26 of them.
3: SUV. <laughs> <laughs>
1: SVU. Uh,
2: All right.
3: All
2: right. All right. <laughs> oh, All
3: right. Oh, wait, cops are
2: here. Okay, cops are here. Fun
1: police. Okay, time out.
3: <laughs> you, everybody, get on the ground.
1: Everybody out. Everybody out. Not you, Thompson. You stay right there. I know your, mu- your
3: mother's at a town. Thompson? Thompson. My <laughs> kid's name is
1: Thompson. Tanner Thompson. Thompson Pruitt. <laughs> Thompson.
3: I'm a I'm the head of the Young Republicans Committee. <laughs> All right, welcome back to
1: Past Gas, the Donut Automotive History Podcast. My name is Nolan Sykes. Uh, across from me, for the listener, is one James Pumphrey. Hello. And then to my left is Joe Weber. Hey there. We're, I don't know
2: if you guys know directions and how they work, but that means Joe is sitting on my right. Whoa. Yeah. And Nolan is across from me as well.
3: I'm starboard, starboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: Joe's on my starboard and Nolan is on my
1: bow other? on my bow. Oh, stern. stern? <laughs> my stern. No, the bow's the front, right? Yeah. I watched Pirates of the Caribbean last week, so I basically know <laughs> all, everything about ships. Uh, uh I, I don't know about you James. I'm feeling a little tired.
2: Yeah, um, we've been uh, building our 350Zs for season right. two of High Low. Season Pest- 1.5. Sure. Yeah. yeah season 1.5. We're yeah. finishing the Zs. Uh, and we've been doing that for about three weeks. Yeah. So we've been in a garage, just cranking wrenches. Really cranking. Yeah. Slamming bolts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The- uh, swerving nuts.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really, uh, we're recording this on Valentine's Day. Uh and i fucker uh, I... <laughs> up her up it's the day <laughs> uh but yeah i really can't wait for you guys to uh see the z's how they are now we've had we've made a lot of changes
2: yeah man both cars eat yeah. boy they yeah,
1: they get to the, the buffet and they're just scooping mac and cheese yeah, out of it. The they plate. go to Vegas and they, they don't even gamble. They <laughs>
3: they get charged because they don't eat everything <laughs> off their plate. That's how hungry they think they are. <laughs> no,
1: but it, they they are very cool and I can't wait for you guys to see what we've done there. I Hilo is very taxing both physically and mentally, but uh it's one of my favorite things to do. Although I will say I'm glad that the shoot is basically yeah. over at this we point. We have to wake up so early to do that show. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Anyway, um, today on Pass Gas, we are talking, we are starting, sorry, our two-part series on the rise and fall, then half-rise and fall again of one of the most influential industry figures in automotive history. This is the insane story of one
3: John DeLorean. Ooh. Every time I read his name, I think, De... DeLorean. <laughs> we
2: are. We are. Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about ports.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the Past Gas Podcast. If you like Past Gas, please help us grow by giving us a good rating and a nice review on the podcast platform of your choice. It'll really help us out. And I really appreciate that. So thank you. All right. Now for the show. He it's was notorious. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. DeLorean. And we'll see why. Damn. Yeah. He didn't just make that stainless steel car, you know. No, there he did a lot of, of
2: other stuff. He was potentially one of the most influential guys in American cars in
1: the 60s and 60s 70s? and 70s, yeah. And then things kind of went wrong. He was we'll a, save
2: that for of, episode. A wunderkind. Two. Yeah. He, he really was a Wunderkin.
3: Brilliant guy. He was a, a boy wonder. Uh, my favorite part about him is his chin implant. Whoa, <laughs> Whoa Joe. Sorry to spoil Don't things. Don't spoil that critical story. There's stuff. a lot of chin content coming up. <laughs> yeah. I'd yeah, say this uh, episode
2: is probably 95% chin. Yeah, you know, uh, we
1: really <laughs> didn't really dig into the car stuff because you know everybody knows that, but not a lot of people know about that chin. So we're going to be talking about John DeLorean's chin for about two hours combined. Let's i in. I'm, Our source for today's episode is the DeLorean story by Nick Sutton. All right, so. Without further ado, let's dig in. (laughs) John DeLorean began his career as an engineer on the Packard Car Company design floor. His first major project was focused on improving the Packard Ultramatic 2-speed automatic transmission. Uh, He helped design a new version that could shift from low gear into high on its own. Usually, like, you know, there's manuals and automatics. In the beginning, automatics were push-button. Oh, so, damn. like, you you didn't have to shift, but you still had to, like, operate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a two-speed automatic sounds like, I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah. But because of the torque converter, it actually worked decently, you know? Because, mm-hmm. like, if you had two speeds in the manual, yeah, that would... It'd be terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because of that torque converter, it would, like, still kind of act like it had more gears mm-hmm. because...
3: But you had to just, like, press a button to shift?
1: Yeah. So, uh, DeLorean's first big project was designing a transmission that could shift on its own in two speeds. Amazing. Yeah, good start. Uh, yeah, I'd say. <laughs> For having just started his career, DeLorean was doing pretty all right. Uh, but Packard was beginning to suffer financially after World War II. Packard had refused to adapt to the times throughout the war and they continued to produce over-engineered l- luxury cars uh, that were pretty overpriced. DeLorean used this time to really hone in on his craft and develop a particular attention to detail. And after four years at Packard, he became the head of research and development. Soon after his promotion, the vice president of engineering at General Motors sought out DeLorean and offered him a job.
3: Four years, that's a fast track exec right there.
1: Yeah, for sure. DeLorean was given the choice... To head any of the five divisions at GM? That's crazy. Yeah, like that's you're just first you're a dude who designed a transmission, mm-hmm. and then you're head of R and D, and then now you get to choose any. That's Cadillac, Pontiac, yeah. Chevrolet, Oldsmobile, Buick. You <laughs> get your choice. Yeah, that's insane. Which would you choose, James?
2: Uh, At that time, Chevrolet. Chevrolet, or maybe Pontiac, because was Pontiac the fun Chevrolet
3: yet? No.
2: Okay, I'd do Pontiac, and then I'd make that happen sooner.
3: Pontiac was, like, known for avant-garde stuff at this time, right? They were, well,
1: Sorry. I'm, happy, I'm <laughs> glad you asked, Joe. Uh, <laughs> uh, John chose to take on the Pontiac division as an assistant to the chief engineer. At the time, Pontiac was suffering. It had a reputation of being the old lady division oh, of no. General Motors.
2: Damn, I, damn.
3: Uh, All ladies good... can be avant-garde sometimes. Yeah. You ever see Elon Musk's mom? No. Oh, yeah. She's like a future space model. Oh, wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Much like the Cybertruck. Damn, she's
3: cool looking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she's like a she was a supermodel I think at one point. Yeah.
2: yeah if my mom was like that, I'd probably make big trucks too. <laughs> I'd probably be making electric cars right now.
3: Just to get your mind off of how hot your mom is. <laughs> yeah, I better do I something. I gotta, gotta keep working. <laughs> I better go
2: to the moon. <laughs> get away from my hot mommy. <laughs> 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 my girlfriend is Grimes.
1: That is the most bizarre thing. It is. But it kind of works, I it guess. makes sense to me. Are yeah. they still? I baby? love Elon Musk. They're
2: getting married. She's having his baby. Whoa. Yeah.
1: What do you think they're going to name their child? Uh, Smidgen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Pass Gas, the number one car goss podcast. (laughs) So yeah, at the time, uh, Pontiac was the old lady division, the Model B, the baby. They're gonna name it Model Model B. B. (laughs) (laughs) Model (laughs) B, nice. Uh, John viewed his new position at Pontiac as his chance to really prove his worth and revive a dying brand, and he had a pretty good idea
3: of how to do just that. So, what kind of models added to this, like? granny image
1: uh like the tempest and the Le Mans, and they're just like they're just boring cars like they're nice they're well built but only appealed to people who wanted something that was say not safe in a literal sense but like oh better not rock the boat mm-hmm. this is a good car yeah like, like you know, conservative conservative this is cons- like the 50s oh this is this is the 50s yeah late so 50s. you don't want to
2: stand out in the 50s yeah, you want to like- just like Disappear into the crowd. Yeah,
1: late 50s, early 60s. And this is at General Motors, right. which is possibly, which possibly was and still is one of the most like conservative manufacturers in Detroit. Mm-hmm. They're right. just
3: like, they, they're successful because they're boring. Right.
1: They appeal to a lot of people because they don't really do, or they weren't doing a lot of stuff that would like shake the boat. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. like, we're America's brand. I go to work with a tie on. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it is a car. That I am proud of. It, it is a great car. Yeah. Not was, too proud. Yeah. Not Kongs too proud. Four yeah. wheels. It's <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: um,
2: <clears throat> Well, during the design of the second generation of the Pontiac Tempest, John DeLorean had a great idea to breed some new life into the lineup. He decided that the best direction to take the company was to provide an option for the more performance minded young people to enjoy. That's the key. That's us, baby. Yeah fist pounds all around oh, dude, dude. Per- nice. performance minded young people <laughs> <Woo! Yeah! laughs> uh, dude performance minded young people sounds like a really sick
1: like japanese drift club yeah <laughs> performance minded <laughs> we young. are the performance minded young, uh, people. young people and we're gonna take on <laughs> dude, team mid that's cool yeah
2: we're <laughs> young <people>. that's that's <laughs> right let's put that on a shirt <laughs> performance minded young eh, that's, that's pretty really good. Cool. don't steal that that's don't ours. steal that no trademark um GM had a policy that limited the engine size in their compact A-body cars to just 5.4 liters, which nowadays is huge. Yeah, it's among us. But DeLorean, that boy was a risk taker, Mm -hmm. and he loved to gamble on himself. So, he skirted the GM policy by stuffing the larger 6.4 liter, 325 hertz per Pontiac V8 engine from the Pontiac Catalina into the smaller Pontiac Tempest. The equation... Of small car plus big engine equals fast. And he called the package (gasps) GTO, an Italian abbreviation for Gran Turismo Homologato, Gran Tourer Homologated, a term originally used by a little boy named Enzo Ferrari. That's so sick, dude. Like, what, what a boss move. Like, he's like, you know what we should do? Freaking engine swap.
3: If I remember it correctly, he did it on the Lolo, right? Yeah. Like this was like a kind of a secret project that this he was did. Not approved by GM. Yeah. And it was just like a like a high end performance option that only dealers knew about. Dude, whenever I hear about these like secret Skunkworks
2: projects that went on in, you know, car companies, I'm like, How big is that building? <laughs> 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 like how can you hide the production of a whole
3: freaking car. It's yeah. funny that you mentioned that cause I got sucked into an urban, uh, decay exploration channel yesterday mm-hmm. and they went, there's this dude that lives in Detroit and he goes to the old, uh, Packard factory, which uh-huh. is like oh, sweet. literally like 40 acres. Whoa. of Just like crumbling buildings Whoa. and he's like walking through and there's like bricks falling down. Like it's just decaying. Then he goes to in a later video. He goes to the AMC headquarters, which turned into Chrysler, uh, a Chrysler plant at some point. But it's just like massive buildings for like you know ten square blocks. Yeah, if you're
2: a listener and you work in one of these giant facilities, uh, send us an email.
3: Yeah,
1: at info. Uh, right. Info at donut.media Let's go
2: ahead and say passgas at donut.media
1: Is there a passgas email? There will be okay. after this <laughs> I think this before is the this second comes time we
2: sent that <laughs> yeah, Send us an email at passgas uh, at, Donut. at donut.media And let us know how just how big these places are Because I can't wrap my little brain around it
1: <laughs> It's literally impossible <laughs> to imagine <laughs> 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 It was
2: a major risk to produce the GTO Or at least that's what the conservative GM leadership thought they weren't as forward thinking as John DeLorean. And he was only allowed to construct about 5,000 GTOs in 1964. You might imagine GM's surprise when over 40,000 people ordered the GTO within the first
1: year. That's like a huge. <laughs> Actually, I mean, compared to like other cars at the time, because like everyone was buying cars, mm-hmm. that's like a little small. But I mean, if they only thought 5,000 people. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, it's a super specialty model.
3: Yeah. And yeah, if it's super secret and people like hear about it, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of performance-minded young people. It (laughs) sure is. You know, can't count out those performance-minded young people. You can't. And because
2: of that. The Tempest GTO marked the unofficial beginning of the muscle car era in America, as well as John's full scale assault on Detroit. <laughs> De- De- DeLorean. <laughs> Activate. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we should make the like the uh, cyber tech, like <laughs> Robocopy, DeLorean story. Like Uh, assault on Detroit, Delorean assault.
3: There's like a reimagined history of Delorean,
2: (laughs) like Abe Lincoln with Vampire Hunter, or like uh, Pride and Prejudice with zombies. (laughs) John Delorean had arrived, and he was gonna mix it up. (laughs) (laughs) He remained at Pontiac until February of 1969. Nice when he was promoted. To head of Chevrolet. Almost immediately after his arrival, the Chevy Vega was announced. DeLorean had imagined a value-packed car that was also very stylish. The best of both worlds. And for a little while, the vision held true. The Vega was a good-looking and well-priced small car and fought hard against the German and Japanese competition.
1: The car-buying public loved the Vega. Cars flew off the lots. During the first model year in 1971, Chevrolet sold over 277,000 of these things. That number nearly doubled the next year to 394,000. The upward swing in sales continued for the next few years, but the car was beginning to earn a bit of a reputation.
3: What kind of reputation? Oh boy, this sounds bad. Yeah, the way uh, I
1: did, when I said it like yeah, this... Yeah, you took all this out of your mouth. <laughs> probably not a good reputation.
3: <laughs> that's how I. That's how I knew.
1: <laughs> that's a cue to the listener, that they should probably pay a little attention at this point. Put down that phone. <laughs> In the beginning, the Vega was well built. But after about 40,000 of them, production quality of the Vega started to suffer. To keep the price down and make the car more affordable, lots of corners were cut throughout production. The most significant of those corners was the super thin sheet metal that made up the bodywork. The sheet metal was covered with an anti corrosion primer, like any car, but the application was botched, causing very premature rust all over the body. It was common to have to replace the fenders after a single winter, even in states oh like God. California, which. <laughs> like... We, we don't have. We don't We're have weather. rust here. Yeah. yeah. It's never, never. We don't rains. have winter here. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it was so cold last week. It was like 60. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: and to make matters worse, the Vegas cooling system was awful. The 2.3 liter inline four engine frequently overheated, demolishing cylinders and piston rings. But despite these small issues, the Vegas still sold very well, moving almost 2 million units in its eight year run. A sales rally that soured many owners opinions of Chevy. So if you make a bad car and you sell a ton of them, that means more people are going to be pissed off at you (laughs) and think that your cars are pieces
3: of trash. That's economics. One on one. It's economics. One on one. Yeah. I
1: took one on one and that was the first thing that like the professor came in, wrote his name on the board and shock. Yeah. Welcome
2: to, uh, uh, (laughs) Economics 101. Yes. Bill Cosby? <laughs> <laughs>
1: you make a bad call, Rudy. That's horrible. <laughs> you make a bad call, Rudy.
2: Oh. Are we, can we do Bill Cosby impressions? Anymore? He's in jail. <laughs> He's oh, in jail. He's God. been punished. He can't get us. <laughs> <laughs> he, won't, he, can't, he can't come
3: get
1: us. Where's the you're pudding? Just, yeah, you, you come home and just in the darkness, there's like a
3: figure eating like pudding. And you're kitchen. pudding sounds. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no, no. I walked right into that one.
2: We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, That's A-N-G-I dot <laughs>
2: uh, The car that promised to be America's small and efficient alternative to foreign cars actually drove buyers straight to foreign cars. Whoops. <laughs> that's the opposite of what we wanted. But still, that didn't matter to GM. As long as they were making money, they thought they were doing great. I mean, and, at the end of the day. Dude, that's economics 102. Yeah. As long as you're making money. You're doing great.
3: My favorite is the Cosworth Vega. That thing is C-A. yeah, the thing they is made a really Cosworth cool. Vega. Yeah, yeah. it's what? got like
2: gold uh, accents and stuff. It's very cool. To find one the track
3: those. version made like 400 horsepower. What? Yeah, there's maybe a couple I'm, on that's Facebook. Wrong.
1: That's sick. Yeah.
3: Really? Yep.
1: We should all buy Cosworth they, Vegas. They
3: made 5,000 of them, and like they only served, uh, sold 3,500, and then the rest were just like rotting on lots forever. That sucks. sucks it
2: sucks. As long as GM was making money, they thought they were doing great. And if John DeLorean was good at anything, that boy got that paper. Woo! He made money. <laughs> he had the Midas touch. Whatever he touched, undoubtedly turned to gold-plated cars.
3: Oh boy, I hear a nickname coming on.
2: He quickly found his position on GM's 14th floor, better known as the executive level. Ooh. At the age of 40, DeLorean had broken the record for youngest division head ever at
1: GM. So that that tells you, like, who the people that were running GM were. There were a lot of older guys mm-hmm. who, had, I mean, they were company men. You know, mm-hmm. back in the day, like, all those guys, they worked for that for GM all mm-hmm. their life, and they worked their way to the top.
3: They want know? that watch when they retire. Yeah, yeah. they want that. <laughs> they don't want to shake it up. No. They want to keep
2: it chill.
1: But John was a younger dude, even at 40.
2: Yeah, and he was making them a bunch of money. Yep but those old guys just couldn't help but resent
1: his youthful lifestyle why is that james
2: they <laughs> say that's right james oh that's right james
1: gm tried hard to make their executives blend into the background each executive was basically a carbon copy of
3: the next like agent smith yeah
1: yeah yeah
3: but all just old stinky white dudes <laughs> yeah that can't do anything that Agent Smith can do. <laughs> yeah. I've they don't even know any karate. No.
1: <laughs> you ever try to fire a desert eagle with one hand?
2: <laughs> no, I would love to, though. It's hard. No, Maybe at Joe's bachelor it. party. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, oh, I let, me, <laughs> let me
3: know now so I can put my order in for 16 desert <laughs> eagles. <laughs> hey, guys, I
2: got you all a personalized desert eagle and 500 rounds of ammunition. I mean, this is I, my I was looking formal, through the- <laughs>
1: This is my formal RSVP to your match. It's all? on
2: the record. It's on the record, Joe. You can't deny it. It's on the record. It's in the world now, it's on the internet. You're coming? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm,
1: oh, That's great. John. He was a wild and crazy guy. <laughs> He wore bell bottoms. Yeah. Open collared shirts. Yes. Showed that chest hair. Yeah. And he spent his weekends in California. Woohoo! You know, that's where we all party. (laughs) Yeah. John DeLorean (laughs) loved to party. Yeah. He was the antithesis of the typical GM exec.
3: Hey, I'm going to Temecula this weekend. (laughs) Care to follow me? (laughs) We're going to (laughs) Spockcha. (laughs)
1: A Forbes article about DeLorean puts it the best by stating, he understood something other auto industry executives haven't yet grasped. Automobiles were just as much about style as they were about nuts and bolts. Well put. Great quote. Unlike a typical GM exec, DeLorean wore trendy clothes. He had that trendy lifestyle. He underwent plastic surgery (laughs) to shape his face. Yes. Cool guy. He bought a stronger jaw
3: and was focused on his... (laughs) Weirdest way of saying he <laughs> got a chin implant. Yeah. Uh,
1: and he was very focused on his appearance as he realized that his appearance directly impacted the marketing of his cars. All in all, he was as close to being a rock star as an exec could be. Hey, have
2: you guys seen John lately? <laughs>
1: yeah, he looks like Jay Leno. Yeah, <laughs> does,
2: does his chin look bigger to <laughs> you guys?
3: Did he add a butt to it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he
2: didn't have a
1: chin
3: butt before, <laughs>
1: right? No, you come on. Like, he definitely... Ha- right?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I saw him open a bottle with it the other day.
2: <laughs> he opened the fridge and the breaker room the other day, and it hit his chin, and, and it
1: sounded like he dropped a fork. <laughs> if I was going to get a chin implant, it'd be like a... It'd be, it'd be like a diffuser to make me more like aerodynamic when I'm running really fast. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it look like the top of the Supra.
2: <laughs>
1: like the front of an F1 car.
2: <laughs> hey, here comes Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that GM could not get behind oh, no. was Johnny Boys. Love life Mm-mm. in 1954, John married his high school sweetheart Elizabeth Higgins. But in 1969, nice, they divorced so he could spend more time on the west coast. As you do, listen, baby, I know you've been married for 15 years, but you're really getting in the way of me spending more time on the other side of the country. Yeah, eat LA is next week, and I can't. <laughs> he quickly remarried after only a few months to actress and model Kelly Harmon. Kelly would later become a prominent spokeswoman for Tic Tacs. She was only 19 at the time of their marriage, a fact the couple hid when they added a few years to her age when the marriage was announced. Johnny boy was forty folk. Unfortunately, John's marriage to actress and model Kelly Harmon didn't last very long, and another divorce was filed in 1972. But fortunately, John quickly found love oh, and thank married God. A- yeah. And he married actress and model Christina Ferrara just one year later. This guy
3: doesn't seem problematic at all. Yeah, this guy's not a crazy psychopath.
2: (laughs) Christina had recently been rated as the number one model in America by somebody. (laughs) By by John DeLorean. (laughs) Hey, she's the number one model in America next to the Pontiac Solstice. (laughs) John's quickly rotating marriage status stoked resentment from his peers at GM but each time John DeLorean was criticized he would remind them just how much money he was making the company
1: hey John you getting married again
2: yeah but I just made 16 billion dollars for this place damn it
1: (laughs) in a world where money equals success DeLorean was a successful man His marriage to the top actress and model in the country wasn't the only (laughs) life-changing event in 1972. That same year, he was appointed to vice president of car and truck production for the entire GM Corporation. Dang. So he's the big dog. Mm -hmm. He's running things. (laughs) Uh, He
2: doesn't stay on the porch. Nah. He runs at the head of the pack.
1: Yeah, if you can't run with the big dogs. Stay on the porch, (laughs) pup. We had a big dog store. Uh, in a era <laughs>
2: Yeah, duh And I
1: think I made my mom take me there once I don't remember buying anything
2: <laughs>
3: Yeah Mom, take me to the Big Dogs <laughs> I want to see the Big Dogs I want to <laughs> run with the Big Dogs <laughs> I'm just over here sitting on the porch <laughs> Big Dogs is a surprisingly approachable company like you'll tweet at them and they'll tweet back at you. <laughs> yeah. I, Have you tweeted? Big yeah. Dogs? yeah. 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 <laughs> Our friend Matt Cordova is like a huge big dogs. Dogs fan <laughs> has like all these vintage big dogs shirts. Uh-huh. Um, should we try and get sponsored I by would, big dogs? Yes. Yes. Yo, big yes.
2: Big dogs, donut, uh, pass gas, the podcast, anything on donut. Oh my God. We would love to get, uh, we would love to work with you guys. Hit us up. Um, I guess on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, tag us on Instagram.
1: Pass gas. We want to run with the big dog. We love your product. We love your product. I love the ones where it's just like the big, big, not like buff, but like big dog. Yeah, big, like us. Yeah, and he's just like, you got a problem with me? (laughs) Take it up with the boss or something like that.
3: me. My favorite part is that most of the dogs are wearing sunglasses (laughs) yeah dude i like to think that the artist is like i'm really not great at drawing dogs eyes (laughs) they have like human eyes (laughs) the the eyes are kind of weird can we do
2: something about that (laughs) they're like really like so much more detailed than the rest of the drawing just like these perfect human eyelashes (laughs) <laughs> they, they're following me <laughs> <laughs>
3: I really love the The dog on aggressive rollerblades Grinding down a handrail But why do the eyes have to be Realistic
1: <laughs> Sorry To collect myself um, The next logical step for John Was to jockey for the president of GM But He didn't exactly want that and that's the thing he does, where it lets us <laughs> yeah. know that something's coming up. John knew GM's tragic flaw. He saw that GM would keep doing the same thing and producing the same car year after year, as long as it was making money.
3: And he was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good business. Yeah. Uh,
1: while they would ignore the growing small car markets dominated by companies such as Volkswagen, he knew that in the end, foreign cars were smaller and better than the cheap, predictable rubbish being produced by GM.
2: A lot of John's success came from his blatant disobedience of GM's orders. It sort of became a catch-22 for GM and himself. While the company hated when he would go out of his way to do what he wanted against their wishes, they also loved that sweet, sweet cheddar cheese that he raked in for
3: him. He like the original disruptor. But this time, he would push his luck a bit too far.
1: You know, hearing this, like, I, I really wonder what would happen if he had worked at Chrysler instead mm-hmm. of GM, because uh, I mean, they're like Chrysler's whole thing is that they weren't Ford or GM; they were smaller, yeah, and thus they would take a lot more risks with their designs. Like their muscle cars are just, in my opinion, at least, way crazier than the ones being like put the up
2: Superbird.
1: At, yeah, Superbird, like just putting huge engines and I mean, John would have fit right in with them. And that's a pretty interesting alternate timeline to think of.
2: That's like a, we can make that movie like an alternate history Whoa. That, and like four people would like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spend $200 million on <laughs> yeah, it. <dude. laughs> in 1973, John was in a bit of a dark place in his life. He had just divorced from his second wife, actress and model Kelly Harmon, and he was growing more and more frustrated with the overall quality of GM's cars. Delorean was set to give a confidential speech to the top 700 GM executives at the Greenbrier Hotel GM Management Conference in West Virginia. Yo,
1: dude, you going to the Greenbrier Hotel? I've been to the Management Greenbrier
2: Management? Hotel. Really? Yeah. yeah. What was it like? The Greenbrier? Yeah. It's f- insane. It's where under they have the bunker underground that if we got in a nuclear war they would ship Congress there.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. And you did, you did shots down there or something? Yeah, I did shots. Yeah.
2: DeLorean was set to give a confidential speech to the top 700 GM executives at the Prior Hotel in West Virginia for the GM Management Conference. His entire presentation revolved around a single topic, the poor quality of GM's cars. The speech was extraordinarily critical of the
1: entire company, and he planned to go face-to-face with the people responsible. Taking it to the man. Even though he is kind of the man. He is the man. Yeah. But he's taking it to the, the, other, the man. other men. Yeah. He's like, we gotta be better, boys. John Staff insisted that he
2: tone down his rhetoric, which he begrudgingly accepted.
1: We took their advice.
2: DeLorean did not like the feeling of being censored, and soon enough. An unedited copy of his speech leaked <laughs> into the newspaper. How did that uh, happen? Uh, John, I don't know how it ended up in a day.
3: 10 miles, <huh? laughs> I don't know how
1: the newspaper got me speech. <laughs> we'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. After an internal investigation, it was determined that DeLorean had leaked his own speech. <laughs> <laughs> Gee. I mean. <laughs> Needed an investigation. I mean, he wouldn't, right? No, I mean, unless that chin <laughs> gained sentience <laughs> and control over DeLorean's brain. We're going to take over the world, see? <laughs>
2: You're not the boss anymore, John. <laughs> I'm the boss
1: of this body.
2: the chin,
3: the chin is just James Cagney?
1: <laughs> chin Yeah, so he leaked his own speech. Uh, he wanted the world to know how he truly felt. Most of the time, when John took a risk, it paid off. But this was not one of oh those Oh, my times. God. Let's <laughs> tone <telling> that down <laughs> Shortly after the leak. How will we know? Yeah. How will we know, Joe? How will we know <laughs> that something big is coming up? Shortly after the leak, John DeLorean was forced to resign from his position at General Motors. The brilliant salesman he was, though, John managed to take what would have been a very embarrassing and potentially career-ending move and spin himself into being the hero of it all. He told the New York Times that he wouldn't let his genius go to waste at GM, as they had already had, quote, too many bean counters and not enough engineers. On top of that, he stated that, quote, even at six hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, if the job is not satisfying, you do something else. Damn, that's something that only someone making six hundred fifty k a year can say. Dude,
2: freaking back then, how much is that now?
3: Uh, that would be I, I, I'm one point three million dollars. Yeah, I think it's safe. Three
2: point nine million dollars a, a year. Ooh. That's some sauce, baby. <laughs> Ooh, that's some sweet, sweet (laughs) song.
3: I I think I'd probably put up with the bean counters if I was making that. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, so
1: after all the dust settled, DeLorean came out on top in the eyes of the public. Throughout his time at GM, DeLorean had always dreamt of what he called the, quote, ethical car. He wanted to create a car that was safe, Mm. long-lasting over 25 years, and sustainable. Nice. Forward-thinking guy. The car of his dreams was going to be, quote, eternal. He also dreamt, of building an exotic and contemporary-looking sports car for the masses.
3: That's a lot of things rolling, rolled into one, huh? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's going to be everything.
3: You want a fast car? You got
1: it. Sustainable car? You got it. Affordable car? Well, you
2: got, you it. got it. We'll try yeah. On October 24th, 1975, the DeLorean Motor Company was officially founded in Detroit, 2 years after John's departure from General Motors. His primary motivation was to show GM what they had missed out on by firing him, which is very healthy. I mean, they had like 20 years
1: of Yeah, him, you know. Yeah. It's not like They
2: know. They know. Yeah. The ability to have complete control over his own creative outlets was just one benefit to starting his own company. DeLorean wanted to make the best car possible that had the least environmental impact while still being the best bang for your buck for customers. The DeLorean was going to be able to do earth thing.
1: You know, James, if there's one thing I've learned here at Donut, it's mm-hmm. that when you make a car that does everything... It never goes wrong. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) It always does everything well. Yeah, perfectly. (laughs) DMC really had two founders, John DeLorean and Bill Collins. Bill Collins had worked with John back at Pontiac and was a key player in the development of the GTO.
1: John trusted Bill Collins.
2: And John immediately focused his ambitions on securing funds for the company, leaving the development of DMC's
1: first car in the competent hands of Bill, Billy Collins. That may sound like an unfair division of labor, but securing funding for the company was equally as difficult as developing a car from scratch. We'll hear
2: about that a little bit
1: later. <laughs> <laughs> the only real asset the company had in the beginning was John's prior experience at GM. It's what you call an intangible
2: asset. You yeah. don't know how much it's worth.
3: Wow. You...
2: I learned that literally yesterday oh nice <laughs> I did
3: you watching TED Talks again uh, no my la- <laughs>
2: again <laughs>
3: my lady's in the biz she knows business words so I'd say we we all have intangible assets it, assets mm-hmm. right we yeah. bring to donut. Yeah, totally. Like You can do more pull-ups than anyone I've ever seen in my life. Dude, and after I start rock climbing more, I'm going to be like (laughs) climbing all over the office. (laughs) I
1: cannot wait. Starting your own car company was basically impossible. The last car company that was ever capable of making it without going under was Chrysler in the 1920s. And even they had to receive a bailout. While John sold his confidence and charm, Bill designed the prototype that would become the DMC-12. When it came to the design of the DMC-12, its most notable feature may be the distinctive stainless steel body. Unpainted stainless steel was used because it never rusted, and DeLorean intended to reach his 25-year survival mark by building a car that could withstand the elements. It was designed by Giorgetto
3: Giugiaro. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Who also, I believe, designed the
2: Scirocco.
3: Yeah. And the Golf. Yeah mark one Golf. and a lot of other cars right yeah mm-hmm. he's literally the most influential <laughs> car designer of the 20th century <laughs> yeah he's my favorite um and it they called it the dmc12 because they wanted to offer it for twelve thousand dollars whoa um.
1: the car was also powered by a v6 engine developed by peugeot renault and volvo known as the prv making a whopping 130 horsepowers
2: Almost two years after founding the company in 1976, DeLorean unveiled the first prototype of the DMC-12 DeLorean. The press
1: ate it up. Ooh, they're just eating at that buffet. Like spaghetti, baby. Uh,
2: Detroit reviewers even viewed the car as being as significant as the Ford Model A. Wow. People were excited, and investors were jumping on board. But unfortunately for Johnny D, they still couldn't secure enough funding. But fortunately for Johnny D, they were able to get help from an unlikely source. Okay, let's rewind a bit. The late 1960s marked the beginning of a period in Ireland known as the Troubles, more widely known as the Northern Ireland Conflict. In 1921, Ireland was released from British control and partitioned into two separate states. Northern Ireland, which was majority Protestant and identified as British, and Ireland, which was majority Catholic and... Not British. Not British.
1: Irish. Uh, (laughs) Irish.
2: Northern Ireland remained under British control and resulted in a divide between Catholics and Protestants. The Irish claimed that the borders of Northern Ireland were created primarily for gerrymandering purposes and that Northern Ireland was an illegitimate and undemocratic state.
3: Do you know that uh, Protestants drink Jameson and... Catholics drink powers whiskey. Huh.
2: I guess I gotta drink powers. Are you Catholic? I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward fifty years, tensions between the two groups had continued to rise in nineteen sixty nine. Nice. Riots began in Northern Ireland. Appropriate use. Of yeah, knife. great. <laughs> The divide between the Protestants and Catholics had reached its boiling point, and things were starting to get messy.
3: A young Bono. (laughs) No.
2: No. Without going too far into the topic, because it is a very complicated conflict, and I'm not very smart, and this is a card podcast, things were getting pretty tense. British troops were brought in to help calm the riots, but that just made... Things worse, the IRA was engaging in guerrilla-style attacks and bombings against both civilians and soldiers. A majority of the conflict was centered around the cities of Belfast and Derry. At this point in time, Northern Ireland was a rough place. And while looking for governments to invest in his car, John DeLorean kept striking out. No country was going to invest their capital into a company that had no guaranteed return. Except for Northern Ireland. The British-controlled government of Northern Ireland invested over $140 million into the DeLorean Motor Company
1: for them to build their factory in Belfast. No one else would go to Belfast because it was such a dangerous place to be. In fact, the area's extreme violence scared off any industrialists. But DeLorean was desperate to make his dream come true, so when the Northern Ireland government offered DeLorean money and land, he jumped at the chance. John offered something to Northern Ireland that they needed more than anything else. Jobs. The unemployment rate in Northern Ireland was crazy high at the time, averaging at nearly 40%. So the government gave him loans, grants, and more land. The only catch was that John had to train an inexperienced workforce, build a factory, and have cars roll off the assembly line within two years.
3: That's... uh, I can't do anything in two years.
1: At this point, John had nothing more than a hand-built prototype of the DMC-12. He was nowhere near prepared to actually start selling cars within such a short time, so a major redesign of his factory structure was necessary. John brought on, legendary name in the car world at the time, Mr. Colin Chapman. You might know him as the founder and engineer of Lotus Cars, a man who dominated Formula One and was building some of the most advanced race cars at the time.
2: Now, the partnership with Lotus actually started out pretty awkwardly. People like Bill Collins, who had been an integral part in the development of the DMC-12 prototype, were slowly phased out as their duties were just passed directly over to Lotus's engineering team. Colin Chapman was willing to do some fishy things financially that Bill and his team weren't very comfortable with. When Bill discovered that John was paying crazy amounts of money to an unexplained company, GPD Services, Bill called it quits and tendered his resignation. Bill Collins resigned from the company despite practically creating their entire car. This was
1: the beginning of John DeLorean's money over everything mindset. Things started out pretty well in Northern Ireland for DeLorean. The entire factory was a social experiment of sorts. Inside the DMC factory was one of the first times in a long time that both Catholics and Protestants could be seen working together in Northern Ireland. Def- I
3: take a shot of Powers. And I take a shot of Jameson. Ah, uh, I, I, okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you must accept that the Pope is a direct ear to God. I'll never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kill you, you Protestant person! <laughs>
1: Uh, This demonstrated that a successful, mixed workforce really was possible, and that people were able to work together for a common interest. If you ask most of the workers at the DeLorean factory, they would all say the same thing. It was the best job they ever had, and it's true. The factory floor became a symbol of national unity, and people were excited for the future of the company.
2: One thing that stood out about John, besides his chin, was his calmness. He was building a factory basically in the middle of a war zone. You'd imagine he might be a little bit stressed out, right? Mm-hmm. But not John DeLorean. The world could be collapsing around him, and he wouldn't even blink, which was a good trait to have because, in fact, the world was about to be no. collapsing around him. <laughs>
3: <That's>...
2: <laughs> in January 1981, the first wave of DMC cars rolled off the assembly line. Immediately. The car was struck with quality control issues and became a product warranty nightmare. Literally everything on the car broke. On top of it all, the DMC-12 was nothing like the car DeLorean had promised. It sucked. (laughs) It cost more than a Corvette, but it was slower than a Corvette. It handled like a truck and had a pretty unreliable engine to propel it down the streets. The only innovative aspect of the entire thing lied purely on the stainless steel body and weird gold wing doors. They are cool. They're I don't think it sick. got
3: mentioned, but the PRV engine wasn't the first choice. They wanted like a turbo four cylinder. That would be mm-hmm. cool. And then they were like, they're looking at other. I think they even because when Con Chapman got mm-hmm. brought in and he had a relationship with Ford, mm. they were thinking about bringing like a Ford engine in, like a Cosworth or something, maybe. Uh, no, oh. not really. But uh. Yeah, this PRV engine was like garbage, and they were like, okay, it's cheap, whatever, just Mm -hmm. put it in. Do you know
1: why they put the engine in the back? That's always been a strange choice to me.
3: No. If you want to know more about the
2: actual tech of the car, you can check out the episode of Up to Speed on the DMC12. That's a good throw. On our YouTube. Nice. Um, It's hosted by me. Oh. It's written by me. (laughs) No, I don't think it is. (laughs) (laughs) The only innovative exit. (laughs) It wasn't what the people were promised, and on top of it, it couldn't have come at a worse time. 1981 also marked a pretty major economic recession in the U.S., so the market
1: for these weird cars basically evaporated. When your car starts having quality controls issues, what do you do? Well, there are a few options. You can try and fix it, or you can pull a Ford Pinto and just keep paying the damages because it's too much work to fix it. John discovered a third option. He decided against fixing the production issues and doubled down on factory output. The outcome was something no one could have predicted. Unsold cars, backing up on the lot. There are some pretty incredible pictures of warehouses just stacked full of unwanted cars. And that's where we'll pick up next time in John DeLorean, part two.
3: I think we should mention that like this could have been a very sick car like lotus designed like mid the engine yeah the wedge not Rogetto even rear engine design rear engine yeah.
1: lotus was on board and that's why it was rear engine If giorgetto yeah designed it for Porsche. The plot thickens, my
2: mm. pretty. They're putting flour in the soup. It's thickening up. Mm. 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 Is this a bisque? <laughs> this is a thick soup. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, I, I love doing Roux? When You mean pour a roux in a soup?
1: Oh, yeah. roux are hard to make. Huh? They're like,
3: well, not hard. <laughs> but it's but just like, butter and flour.
1: Yeah, but you can burn it and make it too brown.
3: Yeah, but as long as you cook it for like a couple minutes, if you're pouring it into a soup, that cooks it. So you're like you don't have to like go overboard cooking them.
1: we should have a donut cooking podcast. Yeah.
3: Joe is like a very experienced chef. I love to talk about food. I'm I'm just just getting hungry hungry right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thanks for listening to Passcast Podcast. Uh, If you haven't already, check out our YouTube channel, Donut Media. Please do. Uh, If you haven't already, go ahead and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Yeah, Donut Podcast channel. Oh, we also have a Donut Podcast channel. Subscribe to that one. Subscribe to that one. Uh, Leave us a review. It's the only way we know if we're doing well. Let us know what we can do better.
3: We're getting great reviews. Keep it going. Keep it going. A couple people uh, don't like that we hated on rich people last, last oh really <laughs> yeah oh, but no. whatever
2: whatever I can because I am rich <laughs> cool follow donut <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter at donut media
3: follow Joe
2: on Instagram and Twitter Yeah.
3: dark webinar on Instagram uh, Joe Webb on Twitter yeah
1: seriously let's get Joe some more followers yeah. very funny works very hard let's get
2: I, Nolan some more followers on Instagram and Twitter at Nolan J Sykes sure thank you and let's Go ahead and follow me too At James Pumphrey on both those things Yeah
1: blue checkmark guy over here Yeah They just got uh,
3: uh, <laughs> hand you a suitcase yeah. Of $100,000 yeah. Seriously That's google James Pumphrey worth. <laughs> it's completely factual uh,
2: And she's, we'll see you guys next Monday For part 2
0: Of John DeLorean Yeah I can't wait to see what happens To that chin. <laughs>